you. Good morning, everybody. This is very fun. I am, well, just like I usually say when I'm exiting that way, I am eager to hear what God has to teach us, and I am excited to learn and grow along with you as we continue looking at doing one thing and what that looks like as far as community. We're going to be talking about walking in love this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I am Carolyn Kirsten, the strategic leader of GROW here at Trinity, which means that my team and I get the joy and privilege of overseeing the classes, trainings, events, including baptism, which is January 28th or the 31st, uh, that help you grow in your faith. And I get to also hear the stories, which I love those stories that we want to remember and not forget. I love when I hear those as well. That's encouraging to my own faith. So we're going to walk in love, and walking is actually something um, that's an important daily rhythm in my life. COVID, remember that, when the world shut down and we, our calendars were cleared? Getting outside and going for a walk became a daily habit, and I just can't quit it. This time of year, it looks like, well, because it's dark, so I've got these glow-in-the-dark LED armbands that I wear, snow boots when the, there's snow on the roads, and I have my little route. And there are some of my neighbors that I see out there regularly, too. Chad and Jody, they walk with their coffee cups, and they usually walk the opposite direction that I do, so depending on the timing, I might see them once or twice. Um, actually, I see Jesse sometimes. He's getting arriving at school. I walk past Williamson High School, so... Jesse and I often greet each other in the morning. And uh, then there's Spencer, who walks their very energetic uh, puppy, Phoebe, who requires two laps around the neighborhood in hopes that she will not cause mischief during the workday if they get some of those wiggles out. And then, of course, I have to admit, probably my least favorite neighbor, the deer, who will just stare at me stand there and stare at me, and I can get within six or eight feet of them, and they just have zero remorse whatsoever for my hostas that they ate last summer. They don't even care. So walking is something that is important to me, and this phrase of walking in love is not one that I made up. It's where the scripture we're going to start with today. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and Ephesians is a letter written to the church in Ephesus. Paul is writing to this church, and the entire book, this entire letter is all about grace and helping them understand the grace that they received, the grace that they walk in, the grace that they extend to others, and what we call chapter 5, but realize this would have just been a continuation in this letter. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant and fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're going to break that down a little bit. First of all, Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, if you've been around children or you have children, you know they are natural imitators. Without even trying, your children will pick up habits that you have. You've probably seen, you don't have to teach a child how to act like they're talking on the phone, right? Whether it's a block or it's a remote and they hold it up to their ear and then they even got the hand on the hip too and then they're just talking away or maybe they get some hand motions going. 
children pick that up naturally. All four of my kids could tell you immediately how my husband stands when he's coaching football on the sidelines. He's got his feet spread out a little bit like this, his hands like this, and he does this and taps his mouth. And all of them know that. They, you wouldn't even have to, they wouldn't hesitate for a second to imitate that. Children are natural imitators. And so when Paul says, as beloved children of God, imitate him, we can picture that, right? We are called to imitate our heavenly father. And the best example of that is Jesus. And first he says, to walk in love as Christ loved. So let's focus on that phrase, because that's going to be our whole focus this morning. Walking in love. Love is the pathway you're walking in. That's what he means by that. Walking in love. Love is the pathway. Love is the road. When we're talking about living in authentic community with others, love is the pathway. It's the pathway that takes us from loneliness to relationship, from judgment to acceptance. It's what takes us from discontent to generosity and from offense to forgiveness. Love is that road. We're walking in love. And Jesus is our best example. One of the primary takeaways I would love for you to do, based on what you hear this morning, is to spend time reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books that are about Jesus' life here on earth. If you want to know how to walk in love as our, Jesus, with Jesus as our example, that's where you can find it. You can read there how he loved, who he loved. He did it in pretty countercultural ways. Two very specific resources that I would love to share with you. One is Annie Downs has a podcast called Let's Read the Gospels. Last year, in 2023, each month, she read through all four Gospels. It's about three chapters a day. Different versions, different months, different orders, different months. And that was one of the things I listened to, actually, on my morning walk. It's about a 15-minute podcast. And I will tell you, I am a different person just because of taking that in day after day after day. A lot of the stories are overlapping. I hear them more than once, for sure. By the end of 12 months, I've heard it over and over and over. But it was amazing to me, whether it was in Jesus' teachings, in his conversations with others, the different details, the things that stood out, and really changed who I am as a person who loves. So, and this year, um, Annie's doing a chapter a day. So, a little slower pace. You can either listen one way or the other. And then Pastor Marvin and I have a podcast called The Believe Podcast. This season, season four, we are uh, going through the Gospels chronologically. So mushing all four of those books together in the order that the events would have taken place. You can listen to the podcast. You can also download a reading plan yeah, by going there. Wearetrinity.com slash email believe. And then you'll have the scripture passages that go along with what we are talking about. The whole point of our podcast is a conversation between friends over a passage of scripture. And so we, would, we encourage you every episode to do that yourselves. Read the scriptures. You can listen to our conversation, but have a conversation yourselves. And as you are taking in the Gospels with us, it will change you. So, 
one of the ways that we see Jesus walk in love is his pace. Jesus walked everywhere. Literally. He came during a time period when that was the primary mode of transportation, which I think is pretty significant, don't you? I mean, in all of time, God chose that time period for Jesus to come to earth. If efficiency was his goal, um, if getting things done quickly or getting the message out, he should have come when there are at least cars or trains or the internet. But instead, Jesus comes when people just walk everywhere. That was the pace of Jesus's ministry. I've heard a stat that the average walking pace of a human is three miles an hour. So that's Jesus. His ministry pace is three miles an hour. And at three miles an hour, he can see things that he couldn't see if he was going faster. He can hear things he couldn't hear if he was going faster. And people can keep up with him better than they could if he was going faster. Japanese theologian Kiyuki Kasama says this, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. So love is the pathway and unhustled is the pace. To walk in love as Jesus walked, we need to slow down and be interruptible. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, that's your first point. Slow down and be interruptible. This does not come naturally to me. If the average person's walking speed is three miles an hour, I don't know what mine is, but I have a tendency to walk places fast. I hope you haven't seen me in the grocery store. I have been that person, and this is when I realize, slow down, Carolyn. When people are jumping out of my way because I'm barreling down the aisle, that's not good. I do realize that, but I naturally am a let's go after it and let's get this done. But that's not how Jesus went. He slowed down and he was interruptible. He met with um, Nicodemus, a religious ruler who was embarrassed to meet him during the day because he didn't want people to know he had questions for Jesus. He was willing to go to the inconvenience of meeting with him at night. Or the woman at the well, we call her. She was a Samaritan woman. Jesus has been traveling. He stops at this well to rest. The disciples go into town to get food. He's worn out. And yet, he takes time to engage this woman, asks her questions, and gives her a hope that she didn't even know she was missing in his conversation with her. Now, throughout this time, I'm going to be mentioning a bunch of different interactions that Jesus had with people. And unfortunately, we don't have time to dive deep into all of them. In fact, those two I just mentioned, we're not even, uh, we'll come back to the woman, if, actually. But they are, those scripture references are listed in your bulletin. That would be a great place to start this week. Read those um, encounters that people had with Jesus. Notice again how he loved and who he loved. 
I think you can gain your own insights from those, but we're just going to kind of do a high view on some of these today. Jesus also made time for children. When the disciples said, oh, no, 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 he is much too busy for the, for the kids. He doesn't have time for that. He said, no, let them come. Jesus was willing to slow down and be interruptible. And maybe that's even me projecting my own idea onto the interrupting side of things. Maybe those weren't even interruptions at all. Maybe Jesus didn't view them as interruptions. In fact, he viewed them as the purpose of his day, was to connect with people, was to um, draw them into conversation. Maybe that's my own thinking of viewing those things as inconvenient or interruptions, when in fact, maybe that's what Jesus was all about. We have a lot to learn, a lot to learn from that. He moved slowly so he could listen well and observe more keenly. If you're familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, he climbed up in a tree so that he could see better as Jesus was walking by. And Jesus is walking by. Now, Carolyn would be very intent on wherever she was going, but Jesus is walking and notices him up there, invites him to come down, goes to his house, and turns Zacchaeus' life around. Not only his life, but his family's life is forever changed because Jesus was willing to be slow and interruptible. I do want us to take a look more specifically at, um, we don't know her name, she's called the Widow of Nain. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 13, it'll be on the screen too as well. I'm just going to read a portion of this encounter, and I really want you to picture it with me as I read. Luke 7, verse 11 to 13. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Okay, let's picture this. Jesus and his disciples in the crowd, they're heading through this town. He's got a crowd of people with him. They come across a crowd coming the other way, a funeral procession, in fact. Carolyn's natural instinct would be, okay, people, come in close, put our heads down. We've got to push our way through and kind of be annoyed at this distraction that's keeping me from where I want to go coming the other way. But that's not how Jesus operated. He's got his head up. And what does it say specifically he did? He saw her. He didn't just see the crowd coming the other way. He saw her individual face. And he recognized what was happening. This isn't just a funeral. This is a funeral of her only son. And she's a widow which means without a husband, without a son, she's nothing in this culture. And he saw her and has compassion on her because he was willing to be slow and interruptible as he walked that three-mile-an-hour pace. I don't do that very well. I can think of a specific grocery store story when I was leaving work 
and I was going to go to both Costco and Aldi and pick up Drew from practice at a specific time. I did not leave here at the time that I expected, but I was determined to still get all of those errands in. So I am in Costco, and they have big carts in Costco, <laughs> and I am on a mission. And so I am buzzing down the aisles, up and down, and then I see someone that I know, and I say, hey, Amy, I'm in a really, I'm in a real hurry. I've got to pick Drew up at a certain time. And I keep on going by, and she stopped. She, thankfully, thankfully, says, Clarence died last night. And I stopped. I said, I'm so sorry. This is a close family friend that they like a grandfather to their family. She said, yeah, he just passed away. I really haven't talked to anybody about it yet. So there in the aisle, the frozen food aisle and the, and the coffee, she and I stood for several minutes and I just listened. And I thank the Lord truly because... I was not in that mindset. I had stuff I needed to do, and, but I knew that was very clear in that moment that she just needed somebody to listen for a few minutes. So we talked, and we cried, and we hugged, and then I finished my list, and I was late picking up Drew, and he wasn't very happy, but it wasn't the end of the world. And I knew that I had done the right thing. It's not my natural thing. But each of us, especially in our hurry, hurry, hurry culture, need to slow down and be interruptible if we're going to walk like Jesus walked in love. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, if you take a look at that with me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And this is at the Last Supper, after Judas has left to betray him. This is the last conversation, these chapters here in John that Jesus has with his disciples. So it's their most intimate, his final words to them. And in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Pause. Loving one another was not a new idea. So why does Jesus say, a new commandment I give to you, love one another? I think it's because Jesus had been modeling to them love that looks different than what they had been used to. When we talk about love in the Bible, we're not talking about, I love tacos. It's not something based on warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not even a transactional situation because you have been so kind to me. I love you. Nope. Love is a choice to put others before ourselves, to look to the needs of others instead of our own. So this is the new commandment that Jesus is talking about, a self-sacrificing love. And then he goes on, just as I have loved you, remember just a few minutes before, he washed their feet, their stinky, sweaty, dirty feet. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is how we should be known as Christians. Christians and love should go hand in hand. It should be something like this. Oh, Christians? Oh, 
They are the most loving people I know. I know you cannot out-love a Christian. That is just who they are. Or it looks like this. Your neighbor shoveled your driveway, this heavy snow that we just had, and continued to shovel it all winter long while you recovered from knee surgery. I would not be surprised at all to know that they are a Christian. I'm sure they are, because that's what Christians are known for. We should be known for our love, identified for our love. The way we walk in love should let everybody know that we're Christians. Just like, and maybe you're like this, I can hear one of my children walking down the hallway and can identify which one it is before I even see them just by the way they walk. And we as Christians should be easily identified just by the way we walk in love. Oh, Angela, she's a Christian. I just know it. I know by how she acts, how she loves. She must be a Christian. That's who we should be. So Jesus walked at a slow pace and he was interruptible. A second way we can walk in love is, like Jesus did is by going below the surface. Time and time again, we see Jesus go places and conversations that people didn't expect. Back to that woman at the well. She thinks they're talking about physical water and physical thirst. And he asks her questions that go way below the surface. She really wasn't quite ready for where he was going with her, but helped her understand a spiritual thirst she didn't even know she had. Jesus was willing to go there. He asked questions, and he shared things. Um, let's take a look at his conversation with Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. We are flipping all around. That's why I do really want you to take a look at these later on your own. Mark chapter 10, verses 46, yeah, 46 to 52. Jesus' disciples are coming into Jericho, and as they're leaving Jericho with a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. What was the question that Jesus asks Bartimaeus? Say it right out loud. What do you want me to do for you? Now, that feels like kind of an obvious question, doesn't it? It seems like maybe Jesus could have figured that out for himself. And in fact, because we know he's God's son, he did know. But he asks the question because he wants Bartimaeus to know that he sees him. He recognizes the pain and rejection he's probably felt his entire life. And by asking that question, he goes below the surface and has a heart-to-heart -heart connection with Bartimaeus that goes far beyond his then healing of his eyesight. And we can do that same thing for others. 
It looks like leaning in for a hug with someone who's experiencing grief instead of avoiding awkwardness because you don't really know what to say. It can mean bringing a meal to a family with a sick child because you're recognizing, it actually goes hand in hand with that slow and interruptible piece. You're noticing the needs beneath the needs and you're coming alongside. Maybe it means just sending a daily text to say, I see you and I'm thinking about you as somebody's going through a chemo treatment. It can look like so many different things and Jesus models this so, so beautifully. We're going to look at another passage where we see him do this in Luke chapter 8, verses 42 through 48. Jesus again, lots of people pressing around him. It says, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all of the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, I want you to picture this woman's situation. She has had an unsolvable health problem for 12 years. She has done all the things and gone to see all the people and nothing is better. She's in physical and emotional pain for 12 years. Not only that, because of her health condition, she's considered unclean in her culture. So she also has relational pain because that has to be the leading quality about her, that she's unclean. So she has to announce that when she's with other people. She's going to be rejected by her community. She's got physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, and financial pain because she spent all of her money on doctors. She is at the end of her rope. There's And that's when she hears about Jesus. And she believes if she just can touch the edge of his cloak, she'll be healed. Now that happens at the end of verse 44. But that's not the end of her encounter with Jesus. Her physical pain was not, and her physical um, health issue was not her deepest need. Jesus goes below the surface with her. Her physical issue was taken care of. But he stops, and he seeks her out to have this interaction with her. And what does he call her? Daughter. I'm a former English teacher, so I love wordy things like this. The, this is the only time in all of the Gospels where Jesus calls someone daughter. The only time. He recognized that that was her greatest need. Was, to be, was her identity, was to be drawn in, to be acknowledged that she was a part of a family. Daughter. 
we too can go below the surface with the people in our lives. It can look like so many different things. It can be having a conver- moving a conversation from just casual to spiritual. Maybe it's sharing stories of what we've witnessed, like we sang about this morning. Going below the surface yourself and showing and revealing something true about you. Maybe it's sending a text. It's thinking, Bob Johnson, he is such a great guy. And instead of just thinking those kind thoughts about Bob in my head, I take the time to actually text him and tell him how much I appreciate him. Maybe it means revealing the need that you have, making yourself be the vulnerable one who's willing to go below the surface and ask for help from somebody else. Another way that we can do this and a, way, a very specific thing that's been helpful to me is our Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. I talked about it last week when I was lead hosting, and I really cannot encourage you enough to go through this because not only will it help you understand yourself and the importance of emotional health in relationships, it gives very practical tools to help you grow in this authentic community that we're talking about. It starts next Sunday, We've got one at 9.15 and one at 6.30 p.m. And you can sign up for that at the digital bulletin, info.wearetrinity.com. If those times don't work for you, the workbook does have streaming access right in the front cover. I know of a couple different groups who are going to be going through it together, separate from that, and that's wonderful. My big encouragement is to go through the course. If it doesn't work to do it when we're offering it, that's okay. It's pretty easy to facilitate. It's all written. The discussion questions hit the video now, that sort of a thing. It's all written right in the workbook. And we've got those, the workbook and the devotion in the resource center. You can stop in and purchase those even today. That's the end of that little commercial. I had to have my little grow hat come on. But I do encourage you to take part in that course. It is designed to do with others. It's not something you can do by yourself. Um, Really, a group of four to eight people is ideal. But it truly will help you to learn how to walk in love. So we're walking in love because we're going at a slow and interruptible pace. We are going below the surface. And now we are going to go back to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 to see a third way that Jesus walked in love. It's taking right from this verse. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the third way that we can walk in love is by giving ourselves up. Jesus walked in love by giving himself up for us. He sacrificed his life through a brutal execution on a cross so that we might have a relationship with God. We can know and rely on God's love because Jesus demonstrated his love for us by giving himself up. And we can walk in love when we give ourselves up for others too. Now, I do want to say what I'm not saying by giving ourselves up. This does not mean to be a doormat and to just let others beat you up, and you're available 24-7 to everyone's beck and call. That is not what it means to give yourself up. And in fact, something I learned in emotionally healthy relationships is that Jesus disappointed people. That might surprise you a little bit, but it's true. He did. 
He disappointed his disciples at times. He disappointed his family. He for sure disappointed the religious leaders who thought he should be doing things in a certain way and he wasn't. So disappointing people is not our marker. If we are walking in love, that giving ourselves up means does put other putting others' needs before us other putting others' needs before ourselves. But it's as we are walking in the purpose that God has for us. It looks like what Pastor Marvin talked about a few weeks ago, about being a conduit and not a container. Do you remember that? A container just takes in, takes in, takes in, takes in, and fills and fills and fills and fills. A conduit has it flow out. And this entire Do One Thing series, we have been kind of, there's some intention to what the order we have gone. We started in September with identity. That's a taking in, understanding who we are in Christ, collectively as a believer, as a child of God, and specifically as me, Carolyn Kirsten. That's identity. Bible engagement, taking in God's truth, growing in our understanding of who he is as we are reading God's word. November, we talked about prayer, that conversation with God. Again, we are taking in, taking in, taking in. Some of you have taken spiritual parenting with me, and we talk about this too. We use faith muscle uh, analogy, that you're taking in the nutrients in some of these environments of storytelling, identity, and then comes the working the faith muscles through exercise. That's the conduit part. And in December, we talked about mission, and now we're talking about community. So we're taking in, and it's flowing out and affecting others. As we give ourselves up, we're taking in what we know to be true about who God made us to be. We're taking in his word. We're having conversation with him in prayer throughout our day. And it's flowing out as we live on mission for him, building authentic community with others. It's, we, that's what that means, to give ourselves up. It's not something we hold in tight, but it's something that flows through us. I want to tell you about my great Aunt Marion who is a lady who exhibited this giving yourself up very well to me. She lived to be 100 years old. Um, I think we have a picture of she and I. This picture was taken in 2013. There she is. So this is a year and a half before she passed away. And she looks pretty good, doesn't she, for 98? She was an impressive, she took good care of herself. She walked to the YMCA every day to swim well into her 80s. Uh, she had knee replacement surgery in her 80s as well, which they don't even do, but because she need, she's like, no, 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 I still got a lot of life left. I need these knees. She could like bend down, pick something up, and get back up like this, like people half her age would struggle with. And more importantly than that, she loved well. My sister Emily and I would go there for weekends. Um, she always gave $2 bills at Christmas. I could go on and on and on with stories of Aunt Miriam, and I knew she loved Jesus too. We'd go to their Christian Reformed Church. She would sing those hymns. She had a terrible voice, terrible. But she sang them boisterously. Her Bible was always right by her bed, and the many cards, photos of missionaries that they prayed for were on her fridge. And I was not the only one that called her Aunt Marion. There were a number of people who were not technically related to her that also called her Aunt Marion as well. But I will always remember a conversation we had about 25 years ago about contemporary worship music. And she said to me, you know, I'm not a big fan of the drums 
and I don't like the repetitive lyrics so much. I really, really love the old hymns. But I will sing those songs if it means that young people will come to know Jesus. And that chokes me up now, just like it did then, because I thought, wow, she was willing to give up something she cared a lot about because what she loved more was people knowing Jesus. And it may seem like a little thing, but I think it's really a big thing. Because in our culture today, we hold on to our opinions and we hold on to our preferences so tightly that we're not willing to give themselves up. And we've left relationships. We've moved on from family members because we couldn't give something up, a preference, an opinion. And my Aunt Marion was one who did that and did that so beautifully. So I want to leave you with a powerful, it was powerful to me when I first heard it, a word picture. As we are thinking about walking in love, and even the act of walking, an important part of this is your breath, right? So we're going to take a look at the Hebrew word for love. A few months ago, uh, my girls go to Taylor University. It's a Christian college, and their chapel speaker the day I was there was Beth Guckenberger. And she was talking about this Hebrew word for love that is Ahava, A-H-A-V-A. Ahava is the Hebrew word for love, and Hebrew was the language spoken. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew, much of the Old Testament, and it was the spoken language of the time when Jesus was here on earth. You might be familiar with the Greek words for love, um, phileo, eros, agape. This is the Hebrew word, so ahava. And here's that word nerdy part that's going to come out again. Ahava, within that word, the first four letters, A-H-A-V, ahav, is the Hebrew word give. Isn't that cool? Built right in to love is giving. It's central to it. It's the core of it. Love looks like giving. And that's not all. Beth said she had someone, she was speaking on this topic, and a, afterwards some, a Jewish man came up to her and said, you're actually not pronouncing it correctly. That last A sound should be held out as long as you can. At Jewish weddings, it's done like this. Ahava. Because the point is that you are get, that you, love means Give and give and give until you're out of breath. Is that powerful? Love looks like giving and giving and giving and giving until you can't give anymore. You've, you have sold it all out to love. Now, I want you to practice that with me, all right? We're going to say, ahava, and hold that out until you're out of breath. And I bet some of you have better, better breath support than I do. So here we go. You ready? Ahava. Oh, the Turner family has good breath support. They're still going. <laughs> 
Actually, Jesse, you swim, don't you? I bet that's, that, I bet that's why, all right? Yes, until you are out of breath, walking in love, giving, 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 until you are out of breath, day after day after day, until your last breath. That's what it looks like to walk in love. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. First, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the perfect example that Jesus is of walking in love. And help us this week, in whatever way it is that we need to apply what it looks like to walk in love like you did. Maybe we need to slow down and be interruptible. Maybe there's a specific person you're calling us to go below the surface with. Or maybe it means giving up a preference, giving up some time. Help us to not just be hearers of your word, but to obey and to walk in love until our very last breath. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like somebody to pray with you, please come forward. Our prayer team, our elders, our deacons will be up front. They would love to do that and have a fantastic week.